Hi friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It is Friday, the 6th of June, and coming up on today's show, we're going to be listening to a clip of RFK on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about the vaccine liability deal that was done in the United States in the 1980s under Reagan. We're also going to be looking at the police given new powers in England and Wales, which according to The Guardian could be given near total discretion over podcast. Dr. John Campbell, we're going to be listening to him break down a study of all the negative effects of lockdown and how it was counterproductive to health. At least that's what this study seems to allude to. Another presidential candidate, not just RFK, we're going to be listening to Dr. Shiva Ayadurai, um, a He's got a PhD from MIT, and although I have completely butchered his surname, I have listened to quite a bit of his stuff before, and I found it very interesting. And he is also running as an independent for president, so I like that kind of stuff. We'll see what he's got to say, and he's going to be giving a video defining the elite. So you hear the deep state elite what does it actually mean? Well, he's going to give you his definition of it and how it breaks down and that kind of stuff. Amazon shuts down customer smart home for a week after delivery driver claimed he heard racist slur through the doorbell. A uh, Ukrainian oligarch who allegedly paid Joe Biden $5 million. And there's going to be a news excerpt from Australia talking about the Biden nonce, um potential alleged crimes which I believe is coming out of Sky so in Australia. So that much, much more coming up on today's show. Let's start off first. It's only a couple of minutes long with RFK talking to Joe Rogan about vaccine liability because this is, what, 40 odd years odd now and we're starting to see how, uh, well, he'll explain it. I just finished the story and I'll try to be brief. Um, in because why? Because Reagan caved in, and it wasn't just Reagan; it was the Democrats. My uncle was chairing uh, the Health Committee at that time, and the Democrats also went along. They passed the Vaccine Act in 1986, and the Vaccine Act gave immunity from liability to all vaccine companies if you for any injury for negligence. No matter how negligent you are, no matter how reckless your conduct, no matter how toxic the ingredient, how shoddily tested or manufactured the product, no matter how grievous your injury, you, your vaccine company, you cannot be sued. So this was a huge gift for this industry because the, the biggest cost for every medical product is downstream liabilities. And all of a sudden, those had disappeared. So you're not only taking away that cost, but you're also incentivizing the production of many new vaccines. You're also disincentivizing. You're removing the incentive to, to make them safe because no matter how dangerous they are, they don't care because they, they can't be sued. And then, but you may say, well, if they're really dangerous, then uh, nobody's going to buy them. But the problem with that is nobody has a choice. Oh, they not only got rid of the, the downstream liability, but they don't have any advertising or marketing costs because the federal government is ordering 76 million people, essentially ordering 76 million kids to take the product a year. If you can get that on the schedule, it's like printing a billion dollars for you. And so there was a gold rush. And then the other thing is they are 
exempt from pre-licensing safety testing. They don't have to be tested, and they're not. And I said this for many, many years. You know, I said not one of these 72 vaccines has ever been tested. Pre-licensing in a placebo-controlled trial where you're looking at vaccinated versus unvaccinated kids and looking for uh, at health outcomes. Never been done. So, over here in the UK, I'm not certain if it's the same thing. I'm not a corporate lawyer or pharmaceutical industry expert. But I do know we have the vaccine damage fund you can go and find that on the government's own website i believe last time i looked it was around 120,000 pounds so that would imply although i'm not an expert something similar if you're getting money from government taxpayer money via government rather than suing the actual vaccine people themselves but again i'm no lawyer Moving on now to the Telegraph. This is the 12th of June and it is by the investigations team. <laughs> no one's put a name to it directly and uh, you might not be surprised to find out why on this because this is reads watchdog to probe secretive unit which monitored social media posts criticising COVID-19 policies. The counter disinformation unit was in hourly contact with social media companies during the pandemic over critical comments. The data watchdog is to question the government over secretive disinformation unit after the Telegraph revealed that it had been monitoring social media posts criticising lockdown. We told you that there was a... Well, going completely from memory here, the 77th Brigade, something like that, we told you. At the time, I remember, I think either in the early days of this podcast or chatting about it with my cruise colleague, Craig Campbell. But, and all of that, of course, now we, we know about the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. So we know that this data watchdog, you know, in hourly contact over critical comments. Does the word critical mean they turned out to be right? Also, another thing that pops into my mind, what will actually occur as a result of this article? The best that can happen based on my past experience of such investigations will be in two years time, a report comes out in which they go, Oh, do you know what? That counter disinformation unit, that was wrong. They were wrong. They were very, very naughty boys and girls. And they won't do it again. But there's not going to be any consequences whatsoever. They've just promised Scouts Honor that they will be right. And they won't. (laughs) All the government secretive powers that you've given them, they'll never abuse. And we absolutely promise if there is any real paperwork or documentation of that abuse, that it will clearly go under the national, (laughs) the secret, what do they call it? The secret act or national security, that kind of stuff. So what we'll do is we won't tell you who is involved, what they did. We won't punish anyone involved, but we will tell you they were very naughty boys and girls and they won't do it again. But that's all we can give you for national security reasons. What's the... I think that was that would be pretty much 
all it will come to, if it's even investigated at all. Talking about lockdowns and why they were wrong, could it be some of those critical comments were pointing out things that this study, well, pointing out things at the time, that this study has gone in to point out a couple of years later. This is Dr. John Campbell, and he's going, it's the video is entitled Evidence on COVID Restrictions is Back, and it was uploaded eight days ago. Let's listen to Dr. John. I won't, again, I'll play, um, won't play it all, play about half of it. Of June. Now, today I want to report on the most impressive piece of scholarship that's so far been released on the effect of lockdowns. This is it here. The whole thing is available and in the public domain. And I'm just going to give you a headline to see if you uh, want to watch this video or not. Uh, the, the talk is called Lockdowns Were a Costly Failure. And COVID-19 lockdowns were a global policy failure of gigantic proportions, according to this report. And this report actually looks at empirical data, real numbers in the real world, not modelling as was done pretty well always in the past. So that's what this is about. Now, this is the report here, uh, just, released on the, just released in June. Uh, as I say, very thorough report, all available in just a quick comment on there where he says, you know, a lot of the modelling is good. I don't know if this has anything to do with Neil Ferguson's modelling and all that kind of stuff. But Neil Ferguson's modelling for the whole foot and mouth thing wasn't exactly met with rave reviews. And nothing was really done about it. And they, you know, the guy that did that report, you know, 15, 20 odd years ago that everyone poked holes in and said it was really badly modelled. I think we should get him to do the modelling on the most critical event that could possibly occur in our lifetime. Yeah, get the one with that track record of failure. Or, well, it's hard to say if something, you know, statistics, statistics and damn lies, isn't it, whether it's a failure or not. Perhaps failure is a, not a, word, a model that didn't seem to hold up very well as the years went on <laughs> in the opinions of quite a lot of people that would have a look at the model. That's more fair to say, I think. And again, I'm not an expert. I'm not from the University Imperial College and all that kind of stuff. I'm not a statistician expert. I just listened to a lot of other experts that went, that expert doesn't seem as much of an expert as we think he is, but that's just our expert opinion. Other experts could disagree and back the other expert that we expertly disagreed with. And that, that's how we end up in this mess. Anyway, oh, just a little thought on that there. I'll continue now. Public domain, published by the London-based Institute of uh, Economic, uh, Economic Affairs. And uh, it goes on to well over 200 pages. So um, check it out for yourself. Completely free to download, which is very magnanimous, of course, of the authors in the Institute of Economic Affairs to do that. Um, but, but comprehensive and completely readable. So let's get straight down to what it's talking about. Now, lockdowns were a costly failure, gig uh, a global policy failure. So th this is everywhere. Um, pretty well wherever you are, 
um, we've been let down by our government. So we'll be looking at the way reports were written but not adequately scrutinised by government. This is primarily a governmental failure and I personally feel let down and, and, and I know a lot of you do uh, as well. Um, now this is the update we're just looking at here. That was the previous version there. So as I say, all available, check it out for yourself. So systematic review and meta-analysis. So it takes a combination of useful papers, which is an excellent way to do research. Uh, published in London, um, Institute of Economic Affairs. Did lockdown, COVID restrictions, social distancing, non-pharmaceutical interventions, whatever you want to call it, uh, affect COVID uh, mortality based on the empirical evidence. This is not someone sitting in a back room with a sophisticated uh, calculator or <laughs> sophisticated computer. This is actually real-world data. What actually happened? And of course, that is what science is all about. Science is all about empiricism or it's about nothing at all. Science is not theoretical, it is a practical discipline. Um, systematic search and screening procedure. So they looked at pretty well 20,000 studies, 32 qualified, but only 22 converted for meta-analysis. And that is because only 22 contain the real-world data that was required. In other words, the numbers. The numbers in the real world. And this is why this study is so refreshing. We're getting back to reality. I think we've been in a bit of a, bit of a flight of fancy for the past few years, uh, uh, ably led by government and mainstream media. Uh, but now we're back to scientific reality, which delights me. Um, so 22 studies actually measured. Were, was, this, was this fantasy world that Dr. John Campbell was describing was that helped to be prolonged by social media and units such as the ones we discussed in the aforementioned article? Was that fantasy continued by having dissenting or what they call critical comment removed in that hourly contact that was described in the previous article? data not derived from modeling now they used a stringency index as one of the uh, one of the things they looked at that's how strict the lockdowns were so they were comparing to less strict areas such as sweden average lockdown in europe and the united states in the spring of 2020 which is as far as this data goes so this is the essentially the first wave isn't it the spring of 2020 only reduced mortality uh, covid19 by 3.2 percent this translates to approximately 6,000 avoidable deaths in Europe, 4,000 avoidable deaths in the United States. And uh, when we come to look at the cost-benefit analysis of this and how this compares to other diseases... Just want to also add in there as well, the number of deaths, we still have quite a lot of issues on with and from, and quite a lot of issues on the PCR tests as well. So worth bearing that in mind for this data. These really are small amounts given these people primarily with significant comorbidities. Not all, but primarily. Shelter in place orders, the sort of guarding sort of thing that we talked about, people that were sheltering from the virus. Um, relatively ineffective in the spring of 2020, the report says. Uh, reducing COVID mortality by 2%. 
4,000 avoidable deaths in Europe, 3,000 in the United States. So again, pretty small effects. And then specific NPIs, these non-pharmaceutical interventions. Spring of 2020, again, reduced COVID-19 mortality by 10.7%, which of course is an improvement, um, significantly less than estimates produced by the epidemiological modelers, uh, but that's 23,000 uh, avoidable deaths in Europe, 16,000 in the United States. But again, when we compare these to other diseases, and we're talking about whole countries here, remember, it will be put into context. Now, Imperial College London, this is the Neil Ferguson estimates. March 2020 predicted lockdowns would save 400,000 lives in the United Kingdom. Now, I remember well, as and I'm sure you do, it's uh, pretty ingrained in my memory, that the UK government in the early press conferences, certainly the first press conference, was going to go for a herd immunity type approach, just protect those that need protected and let things let things follow their natural course. Then we had this, the government got this information from the Neil Ferguson department in um, Imperial College London, and they changed overnight because they thought 400,000 people were going to die. Why didn't the government scrutinise that information properly? Why did they take the advice of one academic group in one university and base whole policies on that? And then the British decision, of course, influenced other decisions. I, 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 obviously, I, I would think it, it affected decision-making in the United States. And we're going to oh, look well, at that's that what track the Brits record. Have done. We better do the same sort of mentality. But we hadn't analysed it adequately, clearly, patently. We now see that clearly. And it's unacceptable. This is a failure of government. I perceive this as a failure of government. Um, academic groups can get it wrong, of course. John? It's a failure of government if the government's job was to protect, serve and be the servants of the people. If they had another agenda, then I'd say for a couple of years it worked quite well. And if that agenda was fear and you needed to change minds quickly and you needed a modeler, that could project fear. And then, as John Campbell then said, the UK then went on with this model and exported the fear model across the world. So we'll look at Neil Ferguson's track record after this video, at least a, someone's opinion of it. But it's governments... Well, why did governments just take this on lock, stock and barrel, hook, line and sinker? Uh, that it would have saved over 2 million lives in the United States, according to this modelling. Problem is, the modelling was inaccurate, unfortunately. We'll look now, at in comparison, just to start putting this in some sort of context, on an average flu season, 72,000 flu deaths in Europe, 38,000 flu deaths in the United States, England and Wales, it's 18,500 to 24,800. This is in an average, typical uh, flu season these sort of deaths would be expected. And we've never had any of these measures for flu in the past, although we've had this with us for centuries. Why was COVID so different? Based on flawed modelling is the, primarily, the primary reason, followed up by incompetent government acceptance of that flawed modelling. Um, so direct quotes, when checked for potential bias, our results are robust, the study says. <clears throat> our results are also supported by the natural experiments we've been able to identify, taking countries like Sweden in the real world. The results of our meta-analysis support the conclusion that lockdowns in the spring of 2020 had a negligible effect on COVID-19 mortality. Negligible effect. 
This result is consistent with the view that voluntary changes in behaviour, such as social distancing, did play an important role in mitigating the pandemic. So the statutory um, government-enforced heavy-handed bits didn't work. The um, self-discipline uh, did work, giving people the... Um, or basically treating your population as an adult that can, uh, that can make its own decisions. Uh, that wasn't done primarily in European and American countries. Um, voluntary measures were effective in, in reducing COVID-19 COVID mortality in Sweden. So voluntary measures were effective. So this is, 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 this is not saying do nothing, not by any means. It's saying do the minimum. And you get comparable results. Not saying do nothing. Not saying COVID doesn't matter. It did. It does. Um, it did much more then because it was making people ill uh, in relatively large numbers. Consistent with evidence early in the pandemic that voluntary action had already begun to work. So the irony here is that the voluntary action was already beginning to work. The legislation uh, made minimal, negligible. Negligible is the term used by this study. Negligible difference. The negative conclusion is amplified by significant economic costs, so stunted economic growth. Unfortunately, uh, public debts are now massive. We're now paying the cost of that, of course. Rising inequality, all bad. Damage to children's health and education, bad. Um, reduced health quality of life, bad. Increased crime, bad. Threats to democracy and loss of freedom, yes. A COVID disinformation unit that we looked at yesterday, set up by the British government, 77th Brigade, a branch of the British military, uh, that may well have been used to spy on its own people. Not what we would prefer, at least not what I would prefer. And I suspect if you're watching, not what you would prefer either. We don't want to be surveilled by the state for having independent academic or philosophical views. Um, we want academic Freedom to discuss, to debate, of course. Uh, one that's close to my heart, being a former mental health nurse, uh, damage to mental health was a big factor. Now, this data is from NHS Digital. Graphics, actually, from the Daily Telegraph, which has been covering this very well. I'll put some links at the bottom. So, um, mid, so this is mid-2010, mid so about 2015. So here we have, um, here we have uh, 11 to 16-year-olds. Around about 2015, 13.3% reported mental health issues after the pandemic went up to 17.7. 17 to 24, it went up from 10.1 to 17.4% of the population. 16 to 39-year-olds, it is hard work being a, a later uh, young person and young adult, um, but there was 3.5% of people reporting mental health illnesses in this group, shot up to 23% showing the economic impact of the uh, restrictions, partly um, uh, other things as well, but that was a main factor. Huge. So getting on for a quarter, getting on for a quarter now of 16 to 39-year-olds in the United Kingdom, 23% reporting mental health issues. This is a real indictment on many things. But they're the current figures. Uh, 40 to 69-year-olds, it went up from 37 to 15% of the population. Uh, over 70s, from 1.3% to 9%. Huge increases in mental distress. And you've all suffered mental distress to some degree, um, some more than others. It's just 
appalling. Mental distress is appalling, and that's what mental health is. The converse of uh, mental health is not really mental ill health. It is, but it's mental distress. And the, the appalling uh, feelings and individual and family and societal consequences of that massive increase in, in mental health problems more on that when we get time because it's a very very important matter and it's got implications for pretty well everything uh, conclusion from these authors unless substantial alternative evidence emerges lockdowns should be rejected out of hand for future pandemics it does depend slightly on the future pandemic i would have thought but um because bear in mind, we don't know what the next um, virus will be. Will it be a one that humans have tweaked, whose function has been gained? Will it be a significant zoonotic virus? Or could, could there even be a bacterial uh, pandemic, of course? Not impossible with antibiotic resistance and other factors. Um, right, the, uh, the science of lockdown is clear. The authors say the data are in. So they're reaching firm conclusions. The deaths saved were a drop in the bucket compared to the staggering collateral costs imposed. And the deaths imposed. For whatever reason now, we still have excess deaths in the United Kingdom. I think the figure, the last figure I looked at was about 11% uh, for the last week that data was available. Higher than we would expect. This is ongoing. Multifactorial. We've discussed some possible causes of excess death. Of course, other possible causes of excess death we haven't discussed. But they are there, and this is a factor. Uh, so let's just hear from one of the authors. Uh, Professor Lars Jungen, Sweden, Lund University. This study is the first all-encompassing evaluation of the research of the effectiveness and of mandatory restrictions on mortality. It demonstrates that lockdowns were a failed promise. They had negligible health effects, but disastrous. Very strong words, negligible health effects and disastrous economic, very strong words. Economic, social, political cost to society. Most likely lockdowns present the biggest policy mistake of modern times. Quite incredible, really, and... Um, should we be have been should I have been more critical of governments at the time? Obviously. But that was the only data we were getting. We don't we, we, this is why trust has been destroyed. We trusted governments, we trusted our chief scientific officer, we trusted our chief medical officer. And that trust, I'm afraid, has been destroyed. And the implications of that are massive. Massive implications of that. Um so that's where I'll leave Jonas that. Herbie, Copenhagen, numerous misleading studies, he claims. Oh, numerous misleading studies. Public. Well, if you, numerous leading studies driven by... <laughs> I should almost let it go, really, but I won't. Um, I think you get the idea, you know. So we had all these people pushing what effectively was now a massive mistake detrimental to our health. And nothing's being done about it in fact there's almost you know there's almost a kind of you know anyone that points this out as a conspiracy theorist lockdowns were great mentality still going on for that you can see 
in politicians around the world, not everywhere and that kind of stuff. So I'm now going to give you a thoughts on Neil Ferguson's track records, not my thoughts, they are the thoughts from statmodeling.stat.columbia.edu. So you can always find any, any someone to look through statistics and find more or less what they want, but this was something that I've seen and heard from a few people, but there's probably some statisticians that absolutely love Neil Ferguson. But anyway, doesn't sound like this one does. So uh, posted on May the 8th, 2020. So we're talking, you know, only a couple of months after the first lockdown. And it's called, uh, so the real scandal is, why did anyone ever listen to this guy? The Imperial College epidemiologist Neil Ferguson was behind the, the disputed research that sparked the mass culling of 11 million sheep and cattle during the 2001 outbreak of foot and mouth disease. He also predicted that up to 150,000 people could die. There were fewer than 200 deaths. In 2002, Ferguson predicted that up to 50,000 people would likely die from exposure to BSE, mad cow disease, in beef. In the UK, there were only 177 deaths from BSE. In 2005, Ferguson predicted that up to 150 million people could be killed from bird flu. In the end, only 282 people died worldwide from the disease between 2003 and 2009. In 2009, a government estimate based on Ferguson's advice said a reasonable worst-case scenario was that the swine flu would lead to 65,000 British deaths. In the end, swine flu killed 457 people in the UK. Last March, Ferguson admitted that his Imperial College model of the COVID-19 disease was based on undocumented 13-year-old computer code that was intended to be used for a feared influenza pandemic rather than a coronavirus. Ferguson declined to release his original code so other scientists could check his results. He only released a heavily revised set of the code last week after a six-week delay. So the real scandal is, why did anyone ever listen to this guy? So, a good point. Now, is it possible that there were people that wanted fear in order to impose control and that it was done on an international basis? Do we think that this was Boris Johnson's mastermind idea? I don't think so. Do we think Boris Johnson is a mastermind? No. For any of our American audiences who may not be perhaps familiar with Boris Johnson, um, perhaps do a Google search, Boris Johnson's greatest blunders, Boris Johnson's greatest lies. I think there's a good compilation clip on YouTube, isn't there? That kind of stuff. That's what we had as Prime Minister during this period. So we've got a situation where a guy who has, let's say there are a number of people in his own field that feel quite strongly he's not got the greatest of track records and seems to have the same mistake over and over again of like massive fear. Um, they suddenly rolled this guy out to go, hey, you know that guy that is always scaremongering and massively, massively overestimates the deaths? That's the guy we want. And by the way, not just the UK, but everyone else should take on board that. And then we should bring in 77th Brigade to do, we care, do all we can to silence any people criticising him and what he's espousing. And do it internationally over and over again. Oh, and by the way, the people in the governments, 
they do seem to have friends and it might be worth looking at where Neil Ferguson gets some of his funding from. You can go and have a look at that for yourself. So is it possible, given all these points, you know, oh, and, but by the way, given all everything I've just said, were we surprised to hear Dr. John Campbell say that, oh, by the way, yeah, that, that guy with a track record of fear mongering, according to some, it's only gone and happened again. Is it possible that it wasn't just a mistake, that there was an agenda at play? If so, what's the agenda and who might it be? Well, let's have a listen to an independent presidential candidate, Dr. Shiva. I've listened to some of his work before on stuff and it was really quite clever, but um, I've only seen the first minute of this video. This is being played from Facebook. So let's have a little listen to Dr. Shiva. Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayodhure. How a very small set of people control 8 billion people. This is what I call the elite. Let's say there's about 10,000 of them. How is it these people are able to manipulate the 8 billion people here? If you talk to a lot of naive people, they think, oh, it's the Rothschilds over here or it's the aliens. They don't understand it's not any one individual. It's not any one organization. There's something called swarm intelligence. If you watch all those birds flying together, not any one of them is in control. They move together as a unit they're closely knit they're quote-unquote telepathic but they move with a singular goal the goal of the elites here is power profit and control this is the goal so if we look at it from a control system what are the inputs they're sending into this system to achieve their goals and what is the output that they seek so if you're an elite over here and you're looking at those 8 billion people how do you know you're achieving your goal are people getting fat meaning unhealthy are people getting dumb which means ignorant are people happy which means, are they being entertained? Are people divided? Are they isolated, disconnected? They don't want people here connecting with each other. Are people feeling helpless? Are people looking to the elites to save them? And they like that. They like when people here are looking to them, the enemy here, for their saviors. They really love that. They want people to be disorganized and they definitely want people to be helpless. This is what they want. If you do not want to unite among people here and find who your own leaders are from below, they are quite happy. They're achieving their goal, power, profit, and control. Now, how do they do this? You're going to realize it's not any one group. It's an interconnected, tightly knit group. They're all closely interconnected. In fact, they all go to the same restaurants. They have all their kids going to the same equestrian shows. They all shop at the same place. They all go to the same parties. You're not part of that. They all so use the same modelers. And what are the institutions of power that they have? Well, first of all, they have academia, Harvard, Oxford, Yale, MIT, IIT in India, the top 100 university presidents. These people are on boards of companies, but it's about 100 people who run the major universities in the world. NGOs or nonprofits. These are people who run these huge nonprofit organizations like the Clinton Global Initiative, WEF, World Economic Forum, Center for Foreign Relations. And there's many other institutions like these, but it's the CEOs of these institutions. And these guys know each other. They definitely work together. The next thing you have is you have government, U.S. senators, prime ministers of countries, advisors to government, think tanks, 
the Belfer School at Harvard, the Stanford Internet Observatory. They created the censorship infrastructure. This includes CIA, right? Intelligence organizations. And again, all these people know each other. They're interconnected. They're a swarm. They're tightly knit. They're not divided like these people over here. They're not disconnected. They're highly interconnected. So these people are focused on power. But then you also have a whole nother people, the CEOs of the global 2000 companies, other big organizations like big pharma companies, Pfizer, big agriculture companies like Syngenta, big investment companies, JP Morgan. You put Deutsche Bank here. You put Epstein down here. Okay. He was involved in all this. You also have the Fed, the central banks, all these people party together. When I say party together, I mean, literally they party together, guys. Absolute close-knit friends. And in fact, the CEO of a global 2000 company will easily move to one of the investment companies down here. If you look at Target, big companies like Anheuser-Busch and Exxon, you'll find that one point they were in one of these investment companies and these investment companies sit on the board of these companies and they shuffle back and forth. So this is all about making money, right? These people are about making the dollar. These people are all about power. This is profit. And then fundamentally, you have control. Hollywood over here. This includes celebrities. You have their agents, Hollywood agents, like Ari Emanuel, as I've talked about, who's a guy who controls most of Hollywood. He controls Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the MMA, etc. The media companies. This includes Disney, Viacom. This includes now Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. These are large media companies. Google, you can put in there also. You also have big news stations, CNN, Fox. And combined with this, now we have another group, social media influencers. This is like Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, these characters who have come in but they do not exist without support from these guys. If you notice, overnight, a bunch of social media influencers have come out of nowhere. And these people are created by these people. So when you look at this, the academics, the NGOs, the government, the think tanks, the investment companies, the Fed, the big pharma, the CEOs, the Hollywood celebrities, media, social media influencers, and the news companies, and you can even take the top 10 of each one of these, they all know each other, everyone. And in order to manipulate these people, they need front men to manipulate these people with policies, because what comes out are policies. These are the inputs they put into the system, propaganda. They feed these people purposely, people who they tell them are going to save them, like the Elon Musk's or Trump or the Kennedy's. Now, who are the people part of the swarm that does that? They have the obvious establishment. And these people are like the Clintons or the McConnells or the Obamas or the Bushes or the Queen of England. Typically, people say, oh, yeah, those guys are part of the establishment. But one of the things we teach at Truth, Freedom, Health, the most insidious people are what I call the not so obvious establishment. These are the people that are created to make sure that the 8 billion people look to the elites to save them. Trump, he's got a golden toilet, Mar-a-Lago, Kennedy's completely bogus family. You can look at historically people like Gandhi or people like ML. Okay. These people all came and were endorsed by the swarm. These people do not exist. They live in Malibu. They live in the places of the elites. And these people are the ones that are used to send the inputs of this controller in system science. These are the controllers. These are the people controlling the inputs that go in. And remember, their goal is to make sure people are in the state of division, disconnection, and helplessness, particularly. They're observing all this. They have their sensors. And one of the features that they notice is that as long 
long as people are in dysfunction and diseased mentally, physically, emotionally, they're happy. Well, what are those diseases these days? We see obesity. We see endocrine disruption, men with low testosterone and people questioning their sexuality. We also see people with cancer. The world's population's life expectancy is going down. The United States is going this way, and this is from 1980 to 2020. They like this. This is life expectancy. In fact, when they see dysfunction, you know what they do? They put another input in, which is normalize the dysfunction. Eat sugars and high fructose food. Well, over here, people have been literally getting fat. It's led to obesity. Or they've been putting in foods that are affecting people's gut microbiome. This is what I call from policy to biology. People are getting worse and worse. They're actually making more money because the obesity now creates obesity drugs. The endocrine disruptors, let's talk about this. This will really explain what's going on with Bud Light. About 20 years ago, there was research done at the universities that clearly showed the use of restricted use pesticides like atrazine and other chemicals in the atmosphere actually cause endocrine disruption, which could reduce male testosterone, which could also affect mammals where the sex organs can change. And this was done by the work of Tyrone Hayes. So if you're over here at a university and you find out one of your researchers discovered that and you are playing golf with people over here at Syngenta, Syngenta is the one who produced atrazine, they're going to say, hey, man, we don't want this research coming out because you have to understand something. The investment community here is investing in all of these companies. So if you're one of these large investment companies, you're moving trillions of dollars, $600 trillion, by the way, move through the economy every day. You as one of the elites managers of money, you're moving all this money. You know all of these people. You know the CEO of Target. You know the CEO of Anheuser-Busch. You know the CEO of Pfizer and Syngenta. And imagine that you see, wow, the stuff that we've been creating is causing sexual disruption changes. You're seeing a phenomenon where more and more people are questioning their sexuality. And what you want to do is you want to make sure that the general public doesn't understand this because if they did, they would awaken to something that's going on from the decisions you made. So you call up your friend, Bud Light, he goes, hey, look, let's run a campaign. Let's normalize trans. Let's exploit a willing person to be exploited like this Dylan Mulvaney. Let's put them on as a poster boy for Bud Light and let's push them out there because we want the attention to normalize a dysfunction because the goal is to make sure they don't lose their trillions over in Syngenta. They're willing to take a billion dollar hit over here, but they want to save their trillions in big pharma and big ag because they're all part of the same family. They all do favors for each other. And then again, you'd go do it at Target. You try to normalize it because you don't want people over here to understand the bigger picture. But you are interconnected. You could strike deals left and right. Let's do a marketing campaign in here. Let's normalize. Same thing if you can look at what's going on in obesity. All these pharma companies are making big money from obesity drugs, but there's movies on Netflix and Amazon promoting fat people as a norm. What's happening over here, you have people who are pro-fat and people who are anti-fat people. You have people who are pro-woke and anti-woke. And they don't care. So you have a bunch of these idiots writing books against woke companies and anti-woke companies. You have people creating apps, only shop at anti-woke companies, don't go to woke companies. But you guys understand that these guys don't give a damn. They're making money anyway. The investment bankers are going to make money from woke companies and anti-woke companies. But what's occurring here is people are being divided. These guys are happy because they're inputting policies and propaganda. People here are being divided. And that is the goal to achieve power, profit, control. So as long as these people work together as a swarm to control the policies and the propaganda, and they provide false heroes, and they're using the Trumps and Kennedys and Gandhis, all of them who talk a big game, their goal is to make sure that you never understand this 
that you keep thinking, oh, Kennedy's going to solve the problem. Trump is going to solve the problem. They don't want you to be leaders in your own communities. They want you to outsource your future to people like Trump or Kennedy because they're part of the swarm. And you keep getting more unhealthy, more ignorant, more entertained. But most importantly, you are divided. People here don't organize themselves to smash these people up. And this is the history of human oppression. They have it down to a system, a goal. They have a controller. They have specific inputs. And they manipulate billions of people to achieve this state. They produce dysfunction. They don't give a damn if you die. The life expectancy in the United States, your children are going to die sooner than you. And they've achieved their goal. They don't give a damn. Do you understand? These people are eating organic foods. They get the best restaurants. They get the best insurance. They get the best health care. And this is what they want to achieve. And that's how they're controlling people. The other way they're controlling you is they want you to keep looking to the elites like Trump and Kennedy and all these people to save you. They want you to look to the swarm. They do not want you to ever support a Malcolm X or a Dr. Shiva or you. They don't want you to become leaders. And this is a goal. As long as you're divided, as long as you're looking over here, you're going to achieve their goal of power, profit, and control. So what's the way out? How do we win? The first way we win, everyone's got to be aware of the science of systems. Without this understanding, there are goals, there are controllers, there are systems, there are intelligences, there are dumb systems. You are never going to break out of this because you will think everything is, oh my God, we got to talk about aliens and UFOs and flat earth or this. All those may be interesting topics, but they don't come down to the fundamentals of understanding this. And the only way out of this is people here have got to understand the principles of system science. And the good news is you can learn this at Truth Freedom Health. So first of all, learn these principles at Truth Freedom Health. That's the only place. This is my gift to people. We've made it accessible to all your children. Any person who goes through the course, you can give it to your children. Anyone can learn this. But the goal is go to Truth Freedom Health and you will understand the science of systems. So we've created that weapon. And with this weapon, this is a hammer here, we have a way to smash this swarm. But without the understanding of this, without you understanding this system science, Without you understanding the knowledge of systems, you will never break out of this. Please volunteer. Go to shivaforpresident.com. Volunteer. And by the way, when you donate, I don't like to take people's money for nothing. I give you books and courses and access to the entire community at truthfreedomhealth.com. So please take advantage of that if you want to donate. But if you don't want to donate, so that is where I'll leave that. And so if you're thinking it, but Jim, he's just criticized Joe Rogan and RFK. You opened up the show with a clip of Joe Rogan interviewing RFK, and I seem to like what they were saying. Yep, that's what I'll do. I will give you different opinions and points of view, let you make up your own mind. That's why I'm not mainstream media. <laughs> we are not looking to uh, eliminate critical thoughts <laughs> that disagree with us here. We're looking to entertain them, stick them in the back of our mind, so that if either Dr. Shiva or RFK were to become president, we can look at them, judge them not by their words or what they said they were going to do, but what they actually do when, if they ever get in power. Could Dr. Shiva's video about divide and conquer be a new way of dividing and conquering? Who knows? And also I think it's possible in the Tucker Carlson situation where they can very much be part of that um, media spectrum. He's on like the, you know, the, the Fox Newsy righty wing of that media spectrum. And then suddenly start to think, hang on. I mean, you've seen the videos where he started to basically sit there and go, basically work out that he was part of the, the system that Dr. Shiva was describing. 
Now, I don't think that means he's controlled opposition. I think that just means, you know, there's a lot of people in media that just they are the perfect people for the job. And at some point they must start to question themselves, go through that Carl Jung style self-analysis and go, am I not a news network? Am I propaganda now? Start to tell the truth and then get fired. So, yeah, he said he took a shot at quite a few people there. Some I agree with, some I disagree with. But it's nice to see an independent candidate running and he's obviously clued up about the bigger picture. We agree with the problem, um, possibly disagree on what the component parts of that problem are and possibly about some of the solutions. But still, I wanted to bring you a different... I brought you quite a few clips of RFK over the last few shows and Joe Rogan. So I wanted to bring a clip of someone who doesn't uh, have faith in either of them. But maybe that's because Joe Rogan's never invited him on his podcast. Or maybe Dr. Shiva's right. Who knows? I don't know. So next up, this is a story about possibly looking into our Orwellian corporate future. Amazon shuts down customers' smart home for a week after delivery driver claimed he heard racist slur through ring doorbell, even though no one was home. Brandon Jackson of Baltimore, Maryland, came home on May the 25th to find that he had been locked out of his Amazon Echo. When he contacted an Amazon executive, he was told a delivery driver had reported hearing racial slurs from his doorbell and it was under investigation. Six days later, he would gain access to his accounts again without an explanation from Amazon. I wonder if he owns one of them parrots. Parrots have been known to do that. Let's scroll down and see if he owns a parrot. Amazon, this is by Alicia Guzman, 13th of June. Amazon reportedly shut down the customer smart home after the delivery driver... See, instantly, if you hear the word smart, think controlling. So that would be my usual guess. Um, is it a controlling home? Smart home? Who controls it? Amazon. Can they switch it off? Yes. They'd never do that, though. Oh, they did. Reportedly. He would later learn that Amazon locked him out of his account after a delivery driver dropped off a package the day before. Jackson, an engineer at Microsoft, said everything seemed fine after the package arrived at his home and had initially thought he was locked out because someone had tried to access my account repeatedly, triggering a lockout. But none of that was true. A representative directed him to an email he received from an executive that provided a smart number to call. When he called the number, he was told that a somewhat accusatory tone that the driver had reported receiving racist remarks from his doorbell. The incident left me with a house full of unresponsive devices, a silent Alexa and a lot of questions, he wrote on Medium. He worked for Microsoft, didn't he? He's probably always into his gadgets and that sort of stuff. Oh, there is what looks like a photo i think it, i believe it is a photo of I believe it's a photo of yeah brandon jackson of baltimore he is not a caucasian man that's interesting uh the incident left me with a house full of unresponsive devices but, but hang I, let me just take it back he possibly could have said <laughs> <laughs> the delivery driver could have possibly heard him saying a racial slur about white people. Is that what they're <laughs> implying here? Uh, 
how good is this delivery driver's hearing? You know, does he have a history of uh, Jackson? Here it is, Jackson, who is black. That that is that is the Daily Mail saying that. <laughs> I I called him non-Caucasian. Uh, Jackson, you never know what to say. Uh, Jackson, who is black, said mo- with these sorts of issues and that sort of stuff, uh, said most of the neighbourhood and its delivery drivers are also Afro-American, and it would be highly unlikely that we would make such remarks. Finally, when I asked what time the alleged incident occurred, I realised it was practically impossible for anyone in my house to have made those comments as nobody was home around the time, he wrote. Uh, After reviewing the doorbell footage, he learned the device had given an automatic reply saying, excuse me, can I help you? He also said that the video showed the driver had been wearing headphones during the interaction and must have misinterpreted the mess. I know this is a corporation and not criminal law, but... There's a reason we have an innocent till proven guilty law, don't we, really? You know, I know this is a corporation and they don't need to go through these wicked roles. They have a right to serve whoever they want. But let this be a lesson, isn't it? You know, these people can switch off all your... What can be switched on can be switched off. Just ask any of my ex-girlfriends. So, let's scroll down now and have a little look at... The comments in the Daily Mail section. Okie dokie, let's go for best rated, worst rated. Okie dokie, up 2207, down 17. So in my anecdotal experience, that's like in the medium range of responses of the Daily Mail. Welcome to the near future unless we fight back. Corporations will be able to shut you out of, at a whim. Maybe your social credit score is too low for them, etc. Yes, um... I have no no issues with that comment. It's pretty much what we want. I tell you, add to this a new level that, that could be coming in soon, which is AI and deep fake technology. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> you know, it's almost farcical. I had my headphones on, and I thought I heard a doorbell say a racial slur from a house owned by a black gentleman in predominantly an African-American neighbourhood. Right. Well, clearly, we should turn everything the guy owns off and make his life a misery. How good are them headphones? Right, next one down. Right. Up 1970, down 13. His biggest mistake was allowing all his devices into his house in the first place. Yep. Uh, that's from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Yep. Bingo. Up one seven four seven down twelve. Really, is this even legal? He brought his stuff with his money. They can't just shut it down even if the claim was true, clearly isn't. A thought on that, I know where you're going with that, but they might just have gone, No our driver with his headphones thought he heard a doorbell talking to him we now have the right to refuse service just as a pub has a right to refuse service if they think you're drunk or anything like that no our driver with the headphones thought he heard a racist doorbell that's enough for us now i think they would be under those circumstances be obliged to give him his money back but um yeah i don't the word smart means control 
and it ain't you in control, is it? So next up, uh, up one four four eight down thirty nine. What business is it of Amazon to police the speech of residents in their homes? Bezos should be monitoring the private conversation of his Washington Post employees who conspire to spread lies about Trump. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Doesn't mean that if there was a racist remark, that that is a good thing at all. It's just, yeah privacy of own home that kind of thing and that doesn't mean I'm necessarily a fan of Trump but I do think the media lied about him on many things not everything up one two three five down 19 due to this experience I'm seriously seriously considering discontinuing my use of Amazon Echo devices only considering oh is he making a quote that uh, is he referring back to the article in which I have uh, scrolled past. Anyway, enough of that article, you get the idea. Right, next one. This is an interesting one from The Guardian. Quarter in UK believe COVID was a hoax. Poll on conspiracy theories finds. Survey also finds one in seven say violence is fair response to alleged conspiracies such as 15-minute cities. The UK is home to millions more conspiracy theorists than most people realise, with almost a quarter of the population believing COVID-19 was probably or definitely a hoax, polling has revealed. So my first thought on that is, what are they constituting as a hoax? Because I'm of the opinion that Covid was real and that it was blown out of all proportion and but it wasn't a hoax now on Spotify I would not be allowed to espouse the David Icke theory that it was blown out of proportion from zero i.e. there was no virus at all I don't believe that, uh, and I wouldn't be able to do a show on Spotify if I did and espouse that view regularly. So where do I fit into it? Because I don't think it was a hoax. I think it was blown out of proportions, blown out of all proportions as a mean of control and done deliberately, deliberately to do so. But I don't think it was a hoax. I think there was something nasty out there. I know, I actually know two people that had the David Icke uh, uh, thoughts. And then they both got something really nasty. They said it was the worst chest infection flu type thing they've ever had in their life. And that changed their mind. Now you can say, was that just a, a really nasty flu? And, you know, obviously they've put two and two together and got three. I don't know. But it was an interesting thing to see in my people I know in my own life sort of change their minds as a result of catching that something, catching something. So the question for me is what what constitutes a hoax? See, they say believing COVID-19 was probably or definitely a hoax. See, I'm in the 
definitely blown out of proportions as a mean of control camp, but not hoax. I would say if you believed it was either probably or definitely a hoax, you're further down the rabbit hole than I am. And I don't think a quarter of the UK population are further down the conspiracy rabbit hole than I am. So I don't know quite what to make of that. I mean, I'd I'd really want to... Let's scroll down here. There isn't much here. Um, conspiracy belief among the public. Right. Okay. Let's scroll down and actually have a look at some of. The, see, I would I would want to see the questions. What were the what were the questions actually asked? So, the Great Replacement Theory: idea that white Americans and Europeans are being replaced by non-white immigrants. So it's definitely true. Comes back for twelve percent. Probably true twenty percent. Uh, definitely false is twenty-nine percent. So definitely false is up there the 15 minute cities 50 minute city plans are government attempt to surveil people and restrict freedoms uh 12 minute 12 percent definitely true 21 percent probably true 26 percent definitely false okay so again the biggest box is definitely false right the terrorism cover-up. Media and government are involved in a conspiracy to cover up information about UK terror attacks. 11% definitely true. 23% probably true. Uh, and the number one box is 25% at probably false. And 24% for definitely false. The cost of living crisis. The cost of living crisis is a government plot to control the public. This is the highest definitely false one at 36 percent see that's interesting because how can the brits look at it and go oh right we're all paying far more for everything than everyone else and the costs continue to go up while the wholesale cost for these companies go down and the com energy companies make all this money and the governments give it to them via taxation, which is piled onto the national debt, and then the banks make more money. And we're always told that the elites are banks and pharmaceuticals and corporations that control politicians, and that would be the ideal scenario for it. But that's the, that's the one that seems to me to be the most obvious. But it seems to be here. But then again, it's the one... That is the most recent. Have we seen? Sometimes it takes a little while for these things to filter through. The Great Reset Theory. The World Economic Forum is a conspiracy to impose a totalitarian world government. 10% definitely true. Go and read the book. Klaus Schwab's book. You know, I haven't read it cover to cover. I've seen several excerpts from it. Doesn't look very nice to me. So that comes back at 29%, definitely not true. The So the biggest... So the biggest one that seems to be people believe in conspiracy the most is the terrorism cover-up, which is the one that's been around the longest. So had more time for... 
stories and perspectives and points of view contrary to official mainstream media narratives to get out. And in a time period where, um, you know, internet censorship only sort of really ramped up 10 years ago so it had a good 10 years on the internet to really go out unfiltered and uncensored as well on that one so I would like to know what the exact question was on and what the how they dis- define hoax because that's um, that's going to be the key do those does hoax include people like me thinking it was blown out of proportion, but actually real? But still, but bearing in mind, the, those who espouse the Ike scenario and myself, we ag- agree that it was the certain groups of people bringing in means of control. We just disagree about it being, and we agree on all the numbers being ramped up. We just disagree on what they were ramped up from. Mine is ramped up from a flu which is probably twice as bad as the worst flu that we've known. But no more than that. And obviously all the lockdowns were counterproductive and that kind of stuff. So we agree on far more than disagree with. Whereas Ike's view is there was nothing at all. And it wasn't blown out of proportion. It was created from zero. So interesting one there. But um, if we were to take that at face value, that's 25% of a population that no longer trust government, media or corporations. And 25, bearing in mind we have a first-past-the-post system here in the UK, if these groups could ever get organised into an actual proper political party that wasn't controlled opposition, 25% of a population that is active, interacting, intelligent, debating, not just following mainstream media narratives, but holding politicians to account. That is a large and powerful potential voting block here in the UK. If there was a candidate that they could all agree on was not another controlled opposition sent to go, I hear your woes, Britain, and I'm going to change things the moment I get in, and I'm in now, I'll do it tomorrow. And four years later, I will promise I'll do it this time if you elect me this time. This this last four or five years, I've, I've just been busy. The previous party was a nightmare. I've been sorting it out. I'm so sorry. I'm definitely not controlled opposition. Give me another chance. I'll do everything I said this second time round. We shall see. Oh, I've overrun already and I didn't get to some of the stuff that I wanted to. But anyway, that's it for another show. Thanks very much for joining us. Cheers.